you will, take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. I'll confess to you, I previously announced that uh, the message for the day would be types of church members. Uh, or types of church members the church can't do without. And uh, um, God kind of wrestled me to the floor and changed my direction. And I'll just tell you that uh, if you've heard the man Ron Phillips up at Abba's house in Chattanooga, Southern Baptist Church. That's an unusual Southern Baptist Church. But one of the uh, one of my friends who lives up there, he and I were talking about Abba's house, and he said, uh, he said, I don't know that church. And I started telling him about it. He said, I know that church. That's six flags over God because it's so massive and so large. But I heard uh, Ron Phillips uh, come to this text, and the Lord spoke to my heart. And I think it's a word for us today. I think there's some things that we can, as we look at the text, uh, you'll find this is a psalm that's of an unknown origin, and yet we know a little bit about when it was written. And we're going to read four verses today. If you will, let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There... We hung our lyres on the poplar trees, for our captors there ask us for songs, and our tormentors for rejoicing. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? Let's pray together. Heavenly Fathers, we peer into your word. We pray that there'll be nothing else that blocks us from hearing your word. We pray that you will speak to us in ways that we've never heard. We pray that you will pierce our hard, cold hearts. We pray if there's someone here today that's lost their song or they feel like they're in a foreign land, a strange land, we pray that today that you will restore their song, that you will bring them back into their own personal Zions in your name. Amen. In your name. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there's nothing quite has the power of music today. Of a song. Michael, thank you for leading us well today. Amen? When we get together and our hearts erupt in a song, a lot of things change. They talk about song, uh, music being the universal medicine, and it is. And it's out of the overflow of a heart that we sing. The Bible has much to say about singing. The Psalms are replete. Sing a new song to the Lord. Uh, shout to the Lord. Make a joyful noise. I mean, we can go on and on. Praise the Lord with your song. Praise the Lord with all that you do. It's a song. And sometimes our song gets taken away. Hello. (laughs) And for us to really understand and glean what I want us to glean, what I sense God wants us to glean from this text today, it takes a, we're going to have to kind of take a historical snapshot. Now, I know I just lost the teenagers. I know they just said history. We're not going to do history. We do it during, but listen, I just want to give you a kind of a, a 30,000 feet Passover of the nation of Israel and what brought us to this writing. <clears throat> Most of us remember the children of Israel came out of Egypt under uh, uh, Moses and they, they came and for a long time they had no king. They asked for a king and they and they got kings, and I'll, I'll give you three names that you remember. You remember the name King Saul. You remember the name King David. You remember the name King Solomon. Those were the last three kings of what we call the United Kingdom. The country of Israel was united in one country. 
When Solomon passed out, and first of all, you remember that Solomon was a rich dude. Do you remember that? He built this extravagant temple to the Lord, and he also built many other palaces, and he also was, was claimed to be the wisest man that ever lived, and he had a thousand wives and concubines. Now I question that. But when he passed off the scene, his son and his son Rehoboam in 922 B.C. came to the throne. Now Rehoboam wanted to be wanted to be a good king, and so you know what he did? He went to his dad's counselors. That was the elders, those elder counselors, and they said, "He said, How, what should I do?" And they said, "Look, if you will treat them just like your dad did, they'll eat out of your hand." And he said, okay, well, then he had some young whippersnappers that were his untested, his young guys that were his counselors. And he went to them. They said, oh, no, that's not what you do. What you do is now's the time to show them who's boss. Now's the time to increase their taxes. You tell them you just think my dad was bad. Hang on. And so that's what he did. The result of that was that in 922... The ten tribes in the northern part of the country seceded and formed another nation called Israel. Now, I want you to get this picture. I always resented this. I always wanted Israel to be, because I'm a southerner, I always wanted Israel to be the southern nation. But it was the northern nation. Ten ten, uh, tribes of Judah. The southern part of the country was called Judah. Two tribes. So you had two on the south, ten on the north. Well, I want to just say this to you. Anytime there is a division in a country, a community, a church, a business, or anything else that is an ungodly split, you have two weakened entities. And that's what happened. Now you had Israel and Judah, and they were weakened. If you want to go back and read and see, check out what I'm about to tell you, you can begin in 1 Kings and walk all the way through. But... King after king after king of the northern country of Israel had these words said about him. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. There are a few noted exceptions, but but for 200 years, evil kings came and went from that throne in the north. Fast forward to 722. Now, I've told you it's going to be a snapshot. Fast forward to 722. And in 722, the Assyrians under Sargon came and annihilated the northern kingdom, that kingdom of Israel. And they took the people into captivity. Now, you, you don't need to view this as we view the end of a war today where there's peaceful signing on a ship and everybody's treated humanely. Let me tell you, let me give you a picture and you can... And I'll show you this in Scripture in just a second. If you picture this, men's bodies, those men who resisted the Assyrians are strewn around dead. Their women now have rings in their nose and they're connected together by a chain and they're led off into captivity. And in 722, half of those who were led away into captivity are never heard from again. Either they were destroyed by genocide or they were uh, uh, destroyed by cultural absorption. Well, now, the southern, the southern country of, of uh, um, Judah lasted about 130, 140 more years, depending on who you read. 
And here's what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar, mighty king of Babylon, came 25, 95, uh, 85, and destroyed Judah, burned the temple, tore the temple down, and took them into captivity, where they remained for 70 years. Now, it is toward the end of that 70-year captivity that this psalm is penned. These folks are in a foreign country and they ask, how can we sing in a foreign country? So the morning, I just want want to take that thought of the foreign country, knowing we need a song. Has anybody ever lost your song and you can think symbolically that you were in a foreign country? Is anybody in this room? I just want us to talk about the foreign country a little bit today. I want to begin, you can take scroll in the back of your bulletin. I want to talk about the types of foreign countries. The types of foreign countries. You know, I've never wanted to be a world traveler. I know some of you, that lights your fire. You just want to go everywhere and do everything. Well, I know why I've never wanted to be a world traveler. It's because when I was a teenager, it seemed like every story I read was about somebody who went to a foreign country thinking they were living under the laws of America, which are most generous laws on earth. And they go to this foreign country and they inadvertently make, uh, break a law that they don't know is a law and they wind up in jail for the rest of their lives. And by the way, as bad as our jails are here, they hold no, no candle to the severity of jails in foreign countries. I've never wanted to go to a foreign country. Now, I understand that Brother Nolan, preachers, Brother Terry, others want to go to the Holy Land and all this kind of stuff. God were to afford that to me, I may try, but that's just not really, uh, never been my real cup of tea. But I want you to think about that foreign country. It's a strange place. It can be a strange country. It can be a strange uh, continent. But you know what I think about when I think of the foreign land? My mind goes to Luke chapter 15. Now, we're not going to turn there. You can just write it down. Luke chapter 15. When that son took all that he had, his inheritance, and he went to what's called a distant land, a far country, or a foreign land. He went over there in rebellion, and he took all the good that he got from his Zion, from his home, and he took it to that foreign country. You know what he discovered in the foreign country? He discovered that there's really nothing good over there. There's nothing better over there than there are at home. When you go to that foreign land, you're out of fellowship. When you go to that foreign land, your relationship is, in, is suspect. And it is in that foreign land of that far country that you can lose a song. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The, prod, the son that we now know is prodigal because he had gone. He did come back. But can you imagine him singing praise songs as he, slop, as he ate the slop which the pigs were intended for the pigs? No, his song was gone. But you know, that's not the only type of foreign country. It is a place that we can go on our own. But I'm going to tell you, for me, the United States of America is fast becoming a foreign country to me. This land is not the land that I know. This is not the America that I know. The America I know was was an America where absolute truth stood. 
Today, <clears throat> in this country, there is no absolute truth. Sadly, the cult, it, through cultural absorption, there are folks in this room who do not believe in absolute truth. And, and by the way, we'll, we prefer to explain away some of these passages as opposed to embracing them. I grew up in a country where right was right and wrong was wrong. I grew up in a country where even though everybody didn't um, go to church and everybody was not trusting Christ as their Savior, they always knew the standard. I grew up in a country where babies were valued and not put in a trash can. And by the way, Sarah, my, my commercial today, when you think about how we treat babies, it's the worst genocide. Forty million babies since the mid-70s, never given a choice at life. And here's what I'm going to tell you. We are in the financial economic condition that we are in today because we need 30 to 40 million people out working, making a living, creating things. We have lost the creativity of an entire generation or two. This is a strange, it's becoming a strange country. The country that I lived in, and I remember, is a country where the believers in the church were respected and not castigated. We live in a strange land. But there is one more strange land that you're going to be offended at. A foreign land of the church of the 21st century in America. You take this book. I challenge you. Take this book. And find where our priorities of the day and the church resemble, even remotely, what the priorities of the first century church were. Last week, Sunday night, in our Hueytown Revival, Chuck Kelly did a masterful job of telling us where we are, telling us where we've been, telling us where we'll head, where we'll be. He called the, the address that was followed by a short sermon, The New Methodist. <clears throat> I know Chuck Kelly's heart. I know when he wrote this. I know how he wrote this. It was not a slam on individual Methodists. It simply was a report on how Methodists have become the fastest declining, have set records for the fastest declining denomination in American history. And all he was saying is that unless we change what we do, we will be that denomination. I, th I really do think something. I really think and it's because of our misplaced priorities. And the church has become a strange place. I wonder if it's because that in those who claim to be believers, I wonder if we would fail the eye of the needle test. This eye of the needle principle and test is so important to Jesus that when the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the gospel to record it, three of the four writers recorded it. 
It's recorded in Matthew 19, it's recorded in Mark 10, and it's recorded in Luke 18. If you don't remember it, let me refresh your memory. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, man, you've got to keep the commands. And which ones? And he listed those. He said, all those I've kept. Well, Jesus knew that he had not kept them all. And he zeroed in on the very one that he knew the rich young ruler could not comply with. No other gods. And he said, well, he said, if you've kept all these, let me tell you what to do. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And, you know, here we are in the 21st century, the richest people to ever live. And we look down on the rich young ruler for turning and walking away. And I wonder if Jesus stood here today and he made that call to you and to me. I wonder if we would have acted just like the rich young ruler. You see, in the foreign land, we lose our perspective. And the wrong things become our priorities. If we're going to have a song, if we're going to have a song, is it going to be a song that we just sing in good times? Or is it going to be a song that we sing all the time? Is it the song that will hold up in a foreign land? That brings us to our next thought that I just want to just brush on. The test of the foreign land. If you look back in, in Psalm 137, you know what you discover? You discover that their captors, those folks who were mistreating them, those tormentors, wanted them to sing in a foreign land. Now, do you think those captors wanted to hear, wanted to worship with them? You think he wanted to hear those praise songs of Zion? No, what they wanted to do was make fun of them. That their captors were greater than their God. I'm going to tell you something. The foreign land will test you. It will test your faith. It will test your commitment. And it will test your heart. And I wonder, do will we pass the test and be able to sing in a foreign land, or will we hang our lyre, our harp, our guitar on a tree and give, let somebody else sing? Whew. Thursday night was an incredible night. If you missed last week, I am so sorry. I hope you had something really important to do because every night built on another night, and we ended up Thursday night, Kevin Ham speaking life into our hearts. And with that entire, probably seven, 800 people standing to their feet singing, my chains are gone, I've been set free. And he challenged this. He said, you know, some of you, and he had said this to me. I was sitting by him on the front row, and he said this to me. He said, isn't it interesting how people in large groups will do things that they will never do at home in their small groups? Something about the energy and he challenged us to take that song of praise from wherever we are and deliver it so that the world can see us praising him. And here's what I will tell you. In the foreign land, Satan will try to snuff out your song. He will make fun of you. 
He will ridicule you. He will even call your faith into question. <laughs> but listen, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So, Brother Jerry, you haven't pointed us a really good picture yet. Types of a foreign land, the test of a foreign land. I want to conclude with what I think are the triumphs, the triumphs in a foreign land. How do we get through it? How do we make our way back? If we've lost our song, if we do not have a song in the night, how do we get back? I think there's some clues here. I'm not going to tell you this is a one, two, three. If you do it, it'll happen. I'm going to tell you that there's some clues here that'll help us. And I'm going to give them to you in one word, okay? One word. One word apiece, five words. One word apiece, five words. I don't want to be confusing. First, did I see, and this principle runs all through Scripture. You can go over and look at it in Revelation chapter 2, and it still abides. They said, by the rivers of Babylon. You see, they recognize. That's the first word, recognize where you are. Recognize where you are. They sat down by the waters in Babylon. That was their, the land that they were captive. That was the foreign land. By the rivers of Babylon. If you ever want to return from where you are, you've got to recognize where you are first. In a foreign land. Sometimes we get places and we get so despondent and we don't even know it. And when somebody dares to tell us, woe is them. Hello? You believe that, Troy? Need to recognize where they were in captivity. They were not in their homeland. They were not where they wanted to be. And then the second word is to realize. You recognize where you really are. And then you realize a couple of things. First of all, you realize what got you there. They sat down by the rivers of Babylon. They sat down and they wept. Now, why did they weep? Perhaps they were homesick. I suggest to you that after 70 years of captivity, that they knew that their ungodly actions and abandoning God was the very reason that they were by the rivers of Babylon. You see, the truth is, there are many churches today about to close their doors. Because they were, in the, they were on the rivers of Babylon. They were on the banks and on the shore in this foreign country and didn't have a clue about what got them there. Oh, the change in community. Oh, uh, uh, you just don't know what's happened into our church. You don't know this and you don't know that. Well, here's what I know. If you take any church as a consultant and you go back through their history... You will find one little decision after another little decision after another little decision after another little decision to where they wind up today. And they don't have enough people to meet. Nobody sat down and decided we're not going to reach people. Nobody sat down and decided we're going to misplace our priorities. Nobody sat down and decided we're just going to have a big old church brouhaha. Here's what happened. One little decision after another little decision after another little decision after another little decision brought them to that place. And here's what I have to tell you how that plays out on in the individual life. 
we begin to, to neglect our time with the Lord. Or we begin to neglect that part of our time with the Lord where we hear from Him. Or we begin to make the decision that we only support church functions when we want to. When it's convenient. Or we make the decision that we're just not going to be a part anymore. I mean, the list can go on and on and on and on and on. If there is to be a song restored, if there's to be triumph in the foreign land, we need to recognize that we're there and recognize how we got there. And here's the big part. We need to remember. When they sat down and wept by the rivers of Babylon, their mind drifted back to Zion. Homeland. The land of milk and honey. The land given them by the Lord himself. And you see, for them, Zion represented the place where God was. Because in those days, it was the temple. And, and the temple, Solomon's temple, was an earthly illustration of God's manifestation. When they were at home in Zion, they felt like they were with God. Are you with God today? One of the things that Chuck Kelly asked last Sunday night is what is your status with God? Oh, you don't have to tell me. When I ask the question, you already know. Your motives, your heartbeat. Some of us need to remember the last time that we really were real intimate with Him. And I'll just tell you, you cannot be intimate with Him. You cannot be intimate with Him and not want to be intimate with brothers and sisters who walk with Him. Some of us need to remember the fact that we've never had that walk with Him. That we've never put our faith and our trust in Him. Oh, we may have come to the altar and we may have walked through the waters of baptism, but it stopped right there. There was never a change of life. There was never a beginning to walk with Jesus. There was no walking in love. There was no walking in faith. There was no walking in the Spirit. And here's the sad part. Please hear your preacher today. If that's you, if he splits the sky today and he comes, you are going to be shocked. Sing in a foreign land. Remember home. If I want to play it on down, we can go. We could go to Revelation chapter two, and we find that we need to repent. That's what the scripture says. There is no salvation outside of repentance. Did I say that correctly? There is no salvation outside of repentance. If when you came to Christ, you just came and gave Him your your life, and you never realized that you needed to repent and turn, that was no salvation. I heard Kevin Ham say this. I don't know if he said it Thursday night or no, just a, a lunch meeting. 
Somebody asked him, what is the difference in ministry in Gardendale, Alabama and Louisville, Kentucky? And he said, you know, the real difficulty is in Alabama is, is getting people lost so they can get saved. You see, in Louisville, it's a different culture. Down here, we just think that everybody's good and everybody's going to heaven. And he said, the trouble down here is getting people lost. Let me describe what lost is. It's a life that's apart from Christ. It's a life that's walking in the darkness. It's a life that's making its own way. It's a life that's dependent on itself. It has nothing to do with church membership. You can be a member of every Southern Baptist church, Methodist church, Presbyterian church, Pentecostal church, any church you want to be a member of, you can be a member of it. And if you've not walked into the light of Christ through your belief and a change of heart, through repentance, there is no salvation. And honestly, there is no hope for you. The last thing we're told over in Revelation 3 is to return. They remembered Zion. You know where they wanted to go? They wanted to go home. They wanted to go home where they sensed and felt the presence of the Lord. You see, a song, a song has a way of stirring us up and reminding us of, of how our hearts used to be alive. <clears throat> Many of us musicians will remember the granddaddy of all musicals. Hallelujah. Gaither, Bill Gaither put it together. You remember how it started out? Let's just praise the Lord. In that musical, and don't hold me to this because I'm working off this senile mind. I know that a guy named Doug Odom was one of the soloist narrators. I believe he did the old rugged cross made the difference. But Doug Odom was an artist in his own. I don't even know if he's still alive today. If, he's 80, if he is, he has to be 80, 85 or more. Big voice, wonderful voice to listen to. On one of his albums, the old albums, teenager, you don't even know what that is. That's a CD on steroids, <clears throat> vinyl. He had a song entitled, What Would I Do Without His Music? And he began it this way. He said, you know, he said every year... I traveled 250,000 miles in a bus, probably another 100,000 in a plane, and said, I go night after night, and I'm just not sure I'm doing any good. I get weary. My soul gets tired. My, my body gets weary, and I come home. And when I come home, I plop down in my old chair, and I wonder, what's the use? Nobody's really listening. And he said, Laura Lee, that was, that's his wife, she looks at me and she sees my face and she knows what it's going to take. And she goes over to the stereo. I can't even compare a stereo to a CD player. She goes over to the stereo and she puts on some of his music and said, it's not long before my heart begins to revive in me again. You see, if we're going to sing in a foreign land, 
we must first have a song in Zion. I want to leave you the way Chuck left us last Sunday night. Would you put that up there, please, Van? I began this talking about the history of the Jewish people. In that 586 encounter where Nebuchadnezzar took the uh, country of Judah captive, he burned everything, he looted the temple, took the holy things of God to Babylon. And the only thing that's left of that original temple is this wall. Thousands, if not millions of people come there every year to wail for the former glory. Now I'm going to leave you at the wall today. And I'm going to ask where your song is. First of all, do you have a song? Has Jesus touched your life? If not, why not let him today? You could be the one in the baptistry next week if you let him change your life. But perhaps you know that he's touched you and changed you. And yet, if you're honest, and it doesn't really matter which foreign land you slipped into, but you know that you slipped in a foreign land and lost your soul. Oh, it changes your demeanor. It changes your outlook, your inlook, your outlook. How long has it been since you cried about you sat down by wherever you are and wept about your condition? Here's what I can tell you about the Lord. If your heart, if your faith, if your soul is not in tune with Him, He's weeping for you because He loves you. Why not bring it to Him today and let Him touch you and restore your song? Let's pray together.